We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Daniel Moore, and you're listening to a Hearing Architecture mini-episode. In this mini-episode, you're going to be hearing from Andrew Walter. Andrew is a director of the cross-disciplinary firm Walter & Walter, based in Victoria, that designs environmentally conscious residential, multi-residential, and public projects. Here's Andrew speaking with me about his approach to environmentally conscious design and how he's implementing carbon neutrality into his projects. Thank you so much for for joining us today on the podcast, Andrew. It's really great to have you involved. So we're going to be talking about a couple of your projects where you've been tackling the idea of carbon neutrality in architecture. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what carbon neutrality is in architecture and why you're interested in putting it into your projects? Sure. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Carbon neutrality... It covers, I guess, a lot of different aspects of architecture. It covers mainly the operational side of things is probably what I'll focus on talking about today. Uh, but then there's also the whole life cycle costing uh, side of things in terms of carbon capturing and, and whatnot. So the projects that I'll talk about are two, two different apartment buildings, more developer-led projects. They're a little bit different from what we've seen a lot in the media uh, lately with the, the Nightingale uh, projects, which are more um, community-led and, and architect-led projects. Uh, so I'm working with some developers who are very keen to make sure that their projects are having the right kind of impact, not just uh, for themselves uh, financially, but also uh, for the people that live in them and the communities that surround them. So there's been a big focus on yeah, sustainability and part of that is uh, how to get to be operationally carbon neutral so more or less a, like a net zero solution so a lot of what we've been working on is we're starting to think about sustainability from the very very beginning of the project rather than looking at it as a series of bolt-ons like putting solar panels and batteries onto a project later on it's really about thinking about first principles and addressing sustainability from the start. So getting the, the siding right, which we all, all know and, and strive to do with every project, but often with a developer-led project, there are some different uh, drivers that are, are leading to certain outcomes when it comes to, to siting uh, and site massing. Right. So for people who, who haven't gone through that process just yet, what is the impact with siding? Like how does that actually translate into lowering carbon what you're trying to do with siting is position openings and windows and orienting the building in the right direction so that we can capture sun in the the cooler months that we're hitting the right sun angles to get some passive heating into into a building uh, and then in the summer months that we have sufficient shading so we're not getting all that heat heat gain during the warmer months and that's in, in an urban setting it's, it can be quite challenging as you've got neighbours that are around you and sometimes your fa- site doesn't face the, the preferred directions. But there are other, other things that you can think about or, or investigate, such as automated uh, sun shading or, or having shading structures as part of the design of, of the building. Right, okay. So I'm assuming that these projects are 
based in Victoria, somewhere in Melbourne maybe? Yeah, these two projects are, are both in, in, a, in a suburban Melbourne, uh, one in Fitzroy and one in Brunswick. Very suited towards sustainability-focused housing uh, as a demographic that's a little bit more engaged uh, at the moment. Right, so does that mean that the buyers are really interested in buildings that perform really well? Yes, exactly. Uh, so the, the developer recognises that as part of who's going to be purchasing uh, these buildings. So that's become a focus as well for the developers in terms of making sure they're meeting the needs of their potential purchases. So as you've started to go through this process, like it's so great that the, the, the developers are recognising that buyers are now looking into these things. As you as the designer are going through the process, you mentioned the winter months having certain requirements and the summer months having other requirements. In Melbourne, has there been one of those seasons that has dominated the work that you've had to do? Uh, it's definitely uh, the cooler months in Melbourne uh, that you definitely design for in particular because uh, we are colder for more of, more of the year, particularly trying to get that sun penetration through and not having apartments in this instance that are, that are too deep. Uh, so that impacts on uh, not only just uh, heat gain or, or trying to get that heat gain into the building, but also uh, using artificial lighting as well during those cooler and darker months. Uh, so they're all different design aspects uh, that we try to address very early on as part of, uh, part of this approach to, to strive towards cube carbon uh, neutrality. Right. So, so what have you put in place um, already on these projects uh, for the winter months specifically? Is there lots of you know, artificial heating or is it uh, something else entirely? We're particularly focused on uh, all, all of the operational requirements. So around you know, energy efficient lighting is definitely uh, part of it. A lot of the appliances, making sure that they're achieving the right star ratings, uh, but also that the, the building envelope itself is highly insulated, probably a little bit more than uh, the current codes require, uh, to just to take us to that next next level uh, in terms of hitting higher star ratings to, to improve the performance of the building envelope. Another part we look at is also around what, what kind of roof area we can use for, for solar generation of power. Often in these urban settings, you don't have a huge expanse of roof, so you can't power your own projects just off uh, solar panels on the roof. Uh, so then we do start to look at other systems that uh, can support uh, the way our buildings can run efficiently, uh, such as looking at an embedded power network, which has really been, I guess, led by the Nightingale projects in how they've approached their uh, electricity requirements, and then buying green power, uh, so you're 100% powered by green power. Wow, okay. So is that something that anyone can do or is that something where you have to have the power of multiple homes or apartments all asking for the same delivery of their power? Yeah, anyone anyone can buy it's just green power from, from their various providers. In, in an apartment setting, there is benefits in and having a larger pool of residences that enable you to buy more power at different rates and then get some savings for the um the occupants or owners of the building uh through through doing sort of more wholesale kind of deals through being having a larger pool of tenants another benefit of carbon neutrality is not just the sustainability side of things as well it's also the the minimization of running costs uh, which has benefits 
not just for first home buyers, but for elderly or, or retired uh, people who are trying to minimise their costs. So that's part of the life cycle, I guess, design that we start to think about um, through through carbon neutrality as well. Right. So carbon neutrality can actually help the amount that people have to pay after they've made this huge upfront cost or ongoing mortgage repayments. It's actually also, you know, how much they're going to be paying on bills actually comes into what you're considering when you're thinking about carbon neutrality. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, you do think about the life cycle of a project. So as architects, you're always focused on on what what the task is at hand and and getting the right bits and pieces into a building. But then you start to think about further down the track when we move away from our projects, what how is it performing? What what can we do upfront to improve the performance? of the building down the track for, for occupants. And one yeah, big part of that is minimising costs uh, for, for the occupants. So, so starting to, in some ways, I guess, think about affordability as well through being sustainable. Okay, oh, that's that's really great. So, in terms of the the big ticket items, it seems like uh, you, you said that insulation is a huge one. So, how how much uh, when you say that the that you've gone beyond the standard for insulation? How much insulation have you actually put into the into the envelope? So, in terms of the the design, I guess of where these projects are, uh, we've got quite quite substantial wall build ups. Like in an apartment building, you're always trying to get everything as as lean as possible and minimise the amount of material that goes into these things which is which is part of our design approach as well uh, however we've been been aiming for sort of instead of just getting r4 in the ceilings that we might get r4 as a rating uh, for the walls and that's through i guess a layered approach and building up um having larger wall cavities uh particularly around the exterior perimeter and then between uh, apartments themselves uh beefing up uh, those wall build-ups again uh, one to improve acoustics uh, as well as um, achieve better sustainability outcomes. That's amazing. So R4 usually goes in the ceiling. What what usually goes in the walls? Is it R2.5 or R3? Yeah, as a as a as just the insulation itself. Yes, and then the whole wall build up might be around R3 or R3.2. Right, and you've gone to R4. Right, so that's that's quite a lot. Yeah, so that's the that's the aim at the moment. So the project I'm talking about at the moment is is sort of in that documentation phase, so pre-construction. Uh, so there's still a little bit of a journey to go on, uh, but at the moment that's that's what's allowed for. So uh, fingers crossed we'll keep that in. So insulation's a huge, huge item. You mentioned the re- reduction of people using energy that might not be sustainable. So you've gone towards this embedded network that's a more sustainably sourced energy. What are some other big ticket items that um, that you've built into this project that's hopefully going to make it into the construction phase? Uh, we've excluded gas from the project. That's been another way that we're working towards carbon neutrality. So not in having any fossil fuel usage uh, so there'll be no gas uh, within the project. Gas you usually might use for, for cooking or even for your um, heating and cooling uh, systems. Uh, so that's, that's been taken out. I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting one because, you know, with gas in Australia, when we see a lot of natural gas, and I think maybe some people think that if uh, they say the word natural, then it might be more environmentally conscious or you know, at least a little bit environmentally conscious. So that's an interesting one going full, full electric. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, because we can buy sustainable power like wind uh, or solar power um, from our energy providers, it does 
does allow you to get to that operational carbon neutral. Whereas if you did gas, did bring in gas, you're depleting a fossil fuel or using a fossil fuel to to the site. So uh, you wouldn't wouldn't quite make that that benchmark. Uh, that does bring with it, I guess, a few extra costs to a project in terms of using induction cooktops instead of, of gas, which is a slightly more expensive appliance in the, in, the, in the the house or apartment. It also means that the heating and cooling systems, we start to look at uh, more heat pumps uh, rather than your traditional gas boilers and whatnot um, to do hot water as well as, well as heating and cooling, uh, which is another cost, but the, again, the energy efficiency and payback to the occupants over time uh, greatly outweighs that initial upfront cost. Yeah, right. It must be a bit of a surprising one once you start to take out some things which might be more standard uh, for, for any type of construction that when you change it to this more sustainable service, whether it be your water or your gas or lighting or any of these things, you have to discover something that's a bit surprising. Along the way so far, have there been any other surprises where when you started talking to your consultants and started talking to the suppliers, you realised you had to make a quite a substantial change to the, the services you usually would specify in a project? Uh, in, in some ways, it's worked out better than what it would in a conventional project. We've got, uh, we don't have a gas meter room, for example, which would occupy some space on the ground floor of an apartment building. Uh, so we've gained back a little bit of space there, but there's been a little bit more rooftop plant that we've had to accommodate. So I think there's been... Um, some pleasant surprises in being able to free up some space by having less, uh, le- a smaller range of services uh, coming to the site. Okay, so for, for anyone else out there who's thinking about, oh, maybe we should take on some carbon neutral projects, what would you like to say to them? Because they're probably thinking that there's a lot of considerations that they need to make. Uh, they might be used to designing or building uh, or developing in a particular way. Uh, what would you like to say to these people who are thinking about going carbon neutral with their next project? I think it's it's really about involving more engineers, more consultants at an earlier point uh, in the design process, not, not sort of leaving those things to be considered towards the end after you've got your town planning permits and whatnot. Start to think about these initiatives right up the front. Have, have a good uh, core team, uh, which would include your ESD consultant, your wasting consultant as well. That's an important part of sustainability and getting to the right outcomes as well. And involving all, the, all these, this team as well with the, the cost planners or the quantity surveyors uh, throughout the early stages to, to really understand um, what the metrics are because it doesn't necessarily mean it has to cost a whole lot more. There are some extra costs, but these I think are outweighed by the benefit in terms of the markability of these projects, which we're starting to see now more and more, but also the purchaser and, and what they're going to be happy with and the result that they're going to be telling their friends about that, that might lead to... Um, better social equity for some of the developers down the track as well. So I think, yeah, the more you can involve up the front, uh, the better, and start to think about it from, from the very beginning, from those first first sketch plans or first apartment layouts uh, that you're starting to think about sustainability and orientation and, and the way that these buildings might work and, and where, where you'll get these benefits um, from saving space in some ways and moving other things around the building as well. Uh, so yeah, definitely those upfront considerations. 
All right, Andrew. Well, thank you so much for for being part of the podcast. Uh, we're really excited to hear more about these projects as uh, as the information is released to the public. So, yeah, thank you so much. We hope it goes well, and we hope to maybe catch up with you in the future. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. This has been a mini episode of Hearing Architecture featuring Andrew Walter from Walter and Walter. If you'd like to hear more interviews from architects around Australia, please keep listening to Hearing Architecture on your favourite podcast app. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Stacey Rotter, Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. To learn more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.